Hello and welcome to Pelvic Floor at its Core, the only podcast out there that is brought to you by a women's health technology company, Flight Therapy. I'm your host, Shravya Cavella, Pelvic Health Physical Therapist and Business Development Manager at Flight Therapy. Find us at www.flighttherapy.com for educational articles, videos, and our free Ask a PT program. You can learn more about how flight can improve pelvic floor muscle tone, strength, and stress urinary incontinence when used for five minutes per day for an average of six weeks if dealing with pelvic floor weakness. We have a unique approach at Flight. We believe our product Flight can provide life-changing outcomes, but we also know that no single treatment is right for everyone. We are therefore working hard to increase the collective knowledge out there about the importance of the pelvic floor. Because the more we work together, the more we can work towards increasing access to pelvic health care so all women can truly live their best lives. On this podcast, I bring on pelvic health experts to talk about a variety of topics that any and every woman and clinician can relate to and learn from. It's always informative always interesting, and we always have fun. So let's get into it. Hello to all my listeners tuning in today. I am beyond excited about our guest and topic. It is something that I found really fascinating and relevant to just about everyone because, well, most of us use our voice all day, every day. Yep, our topic is the relationship between the voice and the pelvic floor, and our guest today is Dr. Ginger Garner. Ginger is an integrative PT, educator, CEO of Living Well Institute, author of Medical Therapeutic Yoga, and owner of her clinical private practice, Unamamia, in Greensboro, North Carolina. So basically a major powerhouse woman who is breaking glass ceilings for us all. Ginger, a singer herself, is so passionate about talking about the voice and how it relates to the pelvic floor and the whole body. This is a topic that's not even spoken often about within the pelvic health clinical community, so this episode is so valuable in all that we cover, which includes why and how the voice is connected to our pelvic floor, research that supports this, a real-life case study that makes this relationship so clear, and so much more. I cannot wait for you all to tune in. And as always, if you like this episode or other content that we create on this podcast, please, please, please click on that little star rating wherever you are listening to, to rate our podcast and leave a review. We totally appreciate it. Now let's jump into the episode. Hi, Ginger. How are you? I am good. Shravya, how are you? I'm doing great. Happy Friday. We made it to the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I am selfishly, I was telling you this earlier, I'm selfishly very excited to be speaking with you today about the voice and pelvic floor. I know you are speaking about this topic at APTA CSM, which is a huge conference where physical therapists all around the country come to hear just expert speakers on new edge information. And so this is going to be very, very cool. But before we jump into that, I do want to learn a little bit about you just as a business owner. You have a lot that you do. You're a business owner in many aspects, an author, a teacher, a speaker, a PT, and a mom, just just to name a few. But how would you describe the journey so far that brought you to where you are? Mm, Yeah, I, I like that question. 
because it asks not just, well, you know, what do you do? What's your label, right? But who am I without all those labels? And I think that story is what explains how I got to where I am <laughs> right now. Meaning when I first got into PT school at UNC, I was about six months in and began to realize that something was missing. And that something was more of the prevention at that time, prevention, health promotion. I mean, nobody was talking about that in PT school. This was over right. 25 years ago, mm -hmm. right? I was really frustrated by that. I even thought about dropping out of PT school because of that. Oh, wow. And yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> um, and UNC is a great school. It's mm -hmm. just that nobody was offering that at the time. So what happened was I ended up going to the director of the program at the time. I didn't get any encouragement there. Um, in fact, I was told, well, that's nice that you want to do health promotion, but you're never going to get paid to do that. Oh, that's but, such a bummer. And I feel like, yeah. you know, you said it was 20 years ago, but it still exists today, too. It does. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's over a quarter of a century ago that that happened to me. So I ended up with a faculty advisor who did believe in my crazy, you know, <laughs> crackpot story. And she helped me get into the School of Public Health to do special studies there. So long story short, I stayed in PT school, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> and I got to work with the governor's task force on health and physical fitness. Um, that opened up a whole new world of opportunity for me that showed me what the power of public health can do. And that's really guided everything I've done since then. It's what got me into using integrative therapies, doing yoga, integrative medicine, like, like yoga, mindfulness, practicing lifestyle and functional medicine. It's just led me down the path that, you know, I've taken to get to where I am now, you know, and looking for ways to help people before they feel broken, mm -hmm. before they're in chronic pain. And along the way, yeah, I did end up accidentally maybe specializing in chronic pain <laughs> um, because what I was doing, the integrative therapies that I was using was working better than just with PT alone. I ended up in pelvic health because I was in an underserved area and no one in the tri-county area was doing it at the time. Wow. So it was out of necessity that all these things, you know, kind of led me to uh, where they did you know, I have a, a healthy sense of questioning authority and being skeptical. It sounds about... like it from PT school. <laughs> I mean, way before it was trendy to talk about prevention, you were doing it. Yeah, it was lonely, though. Oh, I bet. <laughs> it was lonely. But um, that led me to a few years later starting Living Well Institute. I believe it was Desmond Tutu who said, you know, at some point you have to stop pulling bodies out of the water. And you have to go upstream to see who's throwing them in. Wow. That is deep. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I felt like. I was so frustrated. I was burned out. Again, I mean, a few years into my career, I thought, oh, PT is not for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. But instead of doing that, I shifted my attention from directing a PT practice and growing that. I still stayed in it, but I also started the institute and started to write integrative continuing education. And that was around 2001 when I launched 
my first courses. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think it's very, very cool how you put this into action. You know, I think that there is a lot of burnout, especially in the PT community, just because there's this feeling of, you know, you're kind of a a servant to insurance or just kind of these mills where you're treating people once they lead to injury, but you're not really advocating for what you were really trained in or what you believe in. And you have actionable things that you've done and you have courses and information out there. I know you do a lot of live courses, you do workshops. I mean, you put out a lot of free information as well. It's great to see that, you know, there is something that can be done. Like we can take action on that. We can. Every one of us can be, you know, the word change agent gets overused so much. But for women, I think it's a relevant and important word because any woman who's willing to stand up and speak and use her voice is automatically going to be criticized for doing it. Mm -hmm. And to have, to find your courage, to find, literally find your voice, to be able to plug in in a way that makes a difference for our profession in PT for other professions who also practice pelvic health, to be able to reach a population that has long been underserved, ignored, marginalized, and shamed for something that's not their fault. Yeah. I mean, what a strong statement and what a great transition to talking about the voice. So let's start with just like the very basics of our topic today. I just want to know, what does the voice have to do with the pelvic floor? Yeah, I love talking about the voice. I've been singing since I could stand up, basically. Wow. Uh, that's what that's what my family tells me anyway. <laughs> um, so the voice is just kind of an organic part of who I am. And when I started to really appreciate how much I needed vocal quality to do my job as a PT, while I was actually doing too many gigs per week singing jazz. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I did that for about 15 years. And during that 15 years, I was also a clinician day after day after day. All of you listening out there who are clinicians and, and seeing patients, you are educators, you are public speakers. How important is your voice to what you do? It's essential, right? Right. So I had to figure out a way, you know, early on because I was getting chronic hoarseness, laryngitis. I was using really just flat out crappy vocal technique. I really didn't know how to speak and harness my voice properly. There was nothing out there on the voice and the pelvic floor. There was nothing linking it at all. But I began to realize that, you know, if I don't do something and really begin to to dive deep, I'm going to lose my singing voice. Wow. So this is personal for you. Yeah, it yeah. it is. It is. Um, because if I lost my singing voice, that's kind of, that's my soul. That's my sunshine inside my soul. Yeah. And if I lost my singing voice, that also means you lose your speaking voice. Mm-hmm. And then I can't work. And then I can't pay the bills. So over the years since then, that was in the early 2000s. Since then, it's become kind of like the skies open when you begin to see more of the linking evidence of pelvic floor to the voice. Uh, for example, if you look at the Thales study out of Austria on the phase-locked parallel movement of the respiratory t- diaphragm in the pelvic floor, that's a huge deal because, yeah, it does connect those two pieces. There's the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic floor moving like that piston action. When we inhale, they descend, 
And when we exhale, they move back to more of a resting, hopefully not tense, just mm -hmm. steady state, you know, of being happy. Did, the researchers also did work on the difference between Valsalva versus strain. So with Valsalva, you're closing the glottis and bearing down. A strain is an open glottis and bearing down. And that has a different impact on the pelvic floor and the voice as well. So all of a sudden we begin to realize, gosh, not only are there biomechanical connections and myofascial connections of the, the voice or the glottis, the vocal diaphragm to the pelvic floor, but there's also a neurophysiological one. We've got the vagus nerve and it's all important connections between the, what I call the three diaphragms, the voice, the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic floor. So, you know, my message would be, we have to start teaching patient specific techniques that use the glottis to improve the pressure system for the health of the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the research differentiating the Valsalva versus the strain. Is one better than the other? Should we be doing something with our glottis? Like, should we be keeping it closed? Should we keep it open? Or does it differ based on what we're doing? Yeah, it does. It does differ. It's task dependent. A future research question would be, would arise from the fact that we just don't know how much the coordination of the transversus, the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic floor has to do with say, brushing our teeth or leaping over a small stream or creating sound. Hmm. We just don't know, but we do know it's important. And we do know that using, just recruiting the transversus, for example, is task dependent. It's a gradient. We're not 100% maximum voluntary isometric mm -hmm. contraction. Um, because we do know there's one study, I believe it's in 2016, looked at kind of crossfitting box jumping. And those female athletes who were using that 100% kind of rigid bracing technique had less translation of the load from mm -hmm. the ground, the ground reaction forces. There was less of that translating all the way through the kinematic chain. Instead, the knee was taking the bulk of that force. So it wasn't fluidly moving through the kinematic chain to transfer the load properly. It was creating an increased risk for ACL injury. Right. So it wasn't being distributed evenly. It was just all going to the knee. Correct. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we know we can't rigidly use the transversus. We know we can't rigidly hold the pelvic floor. We know that. But we need more information on you know, understanding how all of the three diaphragms work together to create sound, to create pelvic floor, you know, integrity and health. If someone's coming into you, by listening to someone talk, are you able to just hear changes in pitch or breath or something else that might indicate to you like, huh, is there a pelvic floor dysfunction linked with this? Or what can I do for the voice to impact the pelvic floor? Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a great question. So by listening to someone talk, can you hear things that might indicate pelvic floor dysfunction, right. essentially? Mm -hmm. um, okay. So some of the things that you want to listen for, you can consider these red flags, breathiness. So their voice doesn't sound crystal clear. There may be a little bit of a, a fuzzy edge to it or a breathy quality. If they report chronic hoarseness or laryngitis, they consistently have problems with the voice that no one has asked them about. So you need to ask that screening question of all your pelvic floor patients. Do they sound nasal or sinusy? Meaning their resonating cavities aren't being utilized. That can really strain the voice. 
And when you have to drive the vocal folds that hard to create sound, there are going to be other issues that happen. Usually a downward pressure gradient on the pelvic floor is what I see on ultrasound imaging. Hmm. I'm also gonna see them do something called, I just put up a YouTube video not too long ago called, um, are you psoas speaking? I see them literally using their psoas to create sound, to vocalize, to phonate. That is definitely not sustainable. You'll also hear things like vocal fry. That means, and I just did it a little bit now because it's Friday and I have a uniquely stressful situation in my household. I've had two of three of my children with COVID. Yes, we're vaccinated, we're triple vaccinated, but Omicron is pervasive and ridiculously contagious. So they picked it up at school. Anyway, so yeah, I think my voice is a little tired at the end of the week. So that vocal fry that you might hear is a little bit of a growl that can happen at the end of a sentence or at the end of a word that you just said. Uh, a classic way of hearing vocal fry is listen to someone like Etta James, listen to her voice, Aretha Franklin, a lot of the, the soul jazz singers that I really you know, did you know, emulate all those years singing, it's not that great for your voice. You have to professionally learn ways to get that kind of guttural growl without ruining your voice. But when the average person does it, it's not, it's not a good sign. Uh, another thing you can look for is a modulation of the voice that is an up speak, like what I just did. You go up at the end of every sentence. Hmm. Because I wanna know, and I will image them to look at this, what's happening with their pelvic floor. I usually see a downward pressure gradient again. So those are just a few, I mean, it's not a comprehensive list, but it's a few of the red flags that the pelvic floor might not be functioning in the way that it should. I mean, there are, there are other signs like laryngeal extrinsic tightness, like literal compression of the vocal folds via the sternocleidomastoid. So describe to us, for those who don't know, how you're imaging this. Yeah. Um, if 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 we had the visual, I would just I would show you. I but, know, um, I know. That's the tough part about this. <laughs> yeah. So without the visual, it is um, transabdominal, superpubic, at a in the frontal plane, looking at an image of the bladder and being able to see kind of the the white fascial line of the pelvic floor, bouncing around and getting bullied by the vocal cords. So you would have, for example, someone be speaking regularly and you would be using this ultrasound imaging to see what that white fascial line is doing. Right, right, yeah, exactly. So um, just to use a case example, I had someone coming in and there was a poster presentation on this at CSM last year. I believe it was 75 Pilates instructors and they were looking at whether or not they could accurately engage the pelvic floor based on the cues they were giving their own students in their Pilates classes. The majority of them could not actually properly activate the pelvic floor. So then it brings up a huge question. What are we teaching? What are Pilates instructors doing? What's the average person in a Pilates class or a yoga class actually being told versus what they should be doing with the pelvic floor? Mm -hmm. So when she came in, she was part of a, you know, she would have been part of that study of the contingent uh, group that could not properly engage the pelvic floor. And what we saw was 
every time she would speak in a resting, I am chill voice. This is not what she was having to do at work, which is shout over other instructors in an open area to teach group classes for mm -hmm. up to 10 to 12 hours a day. She came in with hip pain, hamstring pain, and she did not know, but hernia, diastasis, rectus abdominis, and a prolapse. And the first thing that I heard when she walked in was this chronic, scratchy, hoarse voice. And she said she frequently, weekly, she would go home in the evening with no voice. So you can imagine what we were seeing on imaging, lots of downward pressure gradient, the things that she had been doing with Pilates. While wonderful, we needed to kind of back up and restructure that to include the voice as part of that pressure system. So I just had her speak in that normal, at ease, not shouting voice. And even in that relaxed voice, we had the pelvic floor just bouncing all over the place. That when is we, fascinating. But we had to downtrain all of that. We retrained all of that using multiple modalities over a period of months to get her to shift towards speaking without, you know, adversely impacting the pelvic floor. I get excited about this stuff. <laughs> Me too. I'm so excited. <laughs> for her, when she came in, she was using secondary muscles of respiration to, to inhale. And then you will see the SEM, you will see the scalenes, you will see the platysma, you will see them using muscles, which actually put a damper on the voice. Mm -hmm. And so then you have to push harder and harder and harder to make sound. And if you're not really coordinating the action of the, the abs with the pelvic floor, something has to help. I'm seeing the psoas and the other related hip flexors kick in and start to drive pressure. So yeah, you'll often see that as well. That's interesting. So you were working on downtraining all of this. How exactly did you retrain her voice outside of the clinic? What kinds of exercises are you giving her to do at home? First of all, I gave her something called, uh, I call it a low-tech breather. <laughs> and it is a piece of latex-free TheraBand tubing. You can use any size you want. Now just keep in mind, the smaller the size, the harder it's gonna get for these people to breathe. So choose your TheraBand tubing wisely. <laughs> <laughs> for her, started out anyway with something that I call the LT breather. I have a handout for it. The low-tech breather, resistive techniques. So forced expiration, looking at forced expiratory volume. When you look at the ability of subjects, this looked at nulliparous women, their ability to coordinate the pelvic floor action with forced expiratory work. Mm -hmm. Next to none of them were able to do it. Further, none of them had knowledge, 100% of them had no knowledge on what was going on down there. <laughs> mm -hmm. And further, and this is the point I always love to make, the only women uh, in that study, only four women in the entire study who could actually under forced expiratory situation, like think, cough, sneeze, laugh, right? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. The only women who could actually do it properly and have the pelvic floor be engaged properly were musicians and vocalists. <sighs> yeah. They still had no knowledge of what was going on down there. Right. They were, but they were never, doing it naturally, right. it sounds like. Were, yeah. So for her, that's what we worked on. Can you breathe against resistance? And under ultrasound imaging, can you do it right? Mm -hmm. So we used imaging as biofeedback in the clinic, in supine, in seated, 
doing Pilates activities and other functional activities to retrain her breath work, essentially, to press the reset button on her stress response, on how she was recruiting the glottis, on down-training the secondary muscles of respiration. So what kinds of cues are you giving her to help her achieve that? So when I gave her the piece of TheraBand tubing, I wanted her to start on an exhalation to make sure that phase lock parallel movement of the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic floor was working. And where is that tube going? She's holding it in her mouth and you pinch the end of it. And, you know, it's, it's graded, not a lot of people can't pinch it to the, you know, the maximum amount. So they're really breathing against a lot of resistance, but it provides more biofeedback and and input than say, if I taught them a classic yogic breath, which I often do, uh, which is called ujjayi or overcoming breath. That is really interesting. And so how did she do in terms of progression with voice? Because and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you weren't telling her, go back to teaching and don't speak loudly or don't <laughs> shout, you know, because that's her job. She kind of has to do that. But you were right. attempting to retrain how her pelvic floor, how her abdominals, how her glottis is all working together. How did she do with that? Well, the the cool thing is I do have the results of that case. Ooh. <laughs> and she was able to get rid of her vocal problems at work. Amazing. Yeah. Her prolapse symptoms are resolved. She's pretty much done at this point with therapy with me. Right now, she's good to go. She's uh, resolved all the issues that she had. But um, she's going to continue on you know, more. And a lot of um, my patients do this. Once we've addressed their issues, then they want to keep on doing the health promotion and the wellness side of things. Which like, is great. how can I prevent this from happening in the future? So that's kind of where we are right now. And when I, you know, I use myself as an example because I was kind of in her situation uh, decades ago mm-hmm. before I got serious about really taking care of myself and my voice and my pelvic floor and my core, all of it a lot better. You know, she's, definitely a story that resonates personally with me because you know it happened it happened to me as well she has to go back to work and continue doing this loud talking the shouting over others in an open space for so much during the day but it's it's very very cool to hear that she's not going home and losing her voice anymore like her activities per se have not changed but how she's doing them have changed and that's made a big difference Right. If she learns how to improve projection, which is what we've done, you resonate better. The vocal folds are vibrating in a more healthy, sustainable way. You can actually speak louder with less strain on your vocal folds or sing, whatever your goal is. I really think that this highlights kind of a superpower that I think PTs have, which is just, we're not really even changing the activity from the outside looking in, but it's like just by retraining how your brain is functioning, like, yes, we work with anatomy. Yes, we work with muscles. Yes, we work with bones, ligaments, tendons, but it's It's a lot of brain by kind of how you think about things and approach things like that creates all the difference of where you feel in activity or how you're using these three diaphragms, for example. It's a superpower. It is a superpower, which is really cool to think about it that way. You know, I like to believe that singing is very much a sport for the pelvic floor. 
you don't have to sing well. <laughs> you <laughs> can sing a in the shower. You know, you can sing in the car, but we have a lot of tools, you know, in our toolbox as PTs to impact the entire system. So there are a wide range of tools and, you know, tips and tricks and hacks <laughs> that um, we have at our disposal as pelvic floor PTs. So it's an exciting time for us as we look to the future of what we can do with the voice in the pelvic floor. I'm just excited to talk about it. I could talk about it all day, but I know that, you know, our time will run out of time soon. <laughs> I know, I know. But I just have to ask, because I am just curious, do you have a lot of singers as patients? That's a great question. The, sh the short, quick answer is I just relocated my practice to Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Now I'm right next to a, the lovely and wonderful and well-known music school at UNC Greensboro. So I'm hoping for, you know, future collaboration in, in many different ways. To this point, before I moved and relocated, I was fortunate enough to be able to work with professional and semi-professional choirs here in North Carolina, as well as in uh, New York, and actually all the way out towards Spain. So wow, so cool. I, yeah, that's there's so much that we can do to create wellness with the voice. Whether you're singing in chorus or you're singing in the car or the shower or, you know, you're doing gigs or you're public speaking or you're a therapist or a teacher, everyone can benefit from working on the voice to improve pelvic floor health, but also whole health. What a perfect wrap up. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think we just went on the very, very surface of this topic, but... It was very informative. I feel like you have a musicality to your voice just speaking. So <laughs> it was lovely to listen to you talk about the voice and pelvic floor. I want to give you a minute just to give yourself a shout out. I know you relocated your practice. Just let everyone know where to find you, where to find the various different offerings that you have uh, and, and your Instagram handle too. You put out a lot of really great content on there. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for that. You can give me a follow um, on Instagram at Dr. Ginger Garner, and you can check out my practice website at drgingergarner.com. That's where people go if they need to, if they want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, which also includes business coaching as well. And if you are looking for training, you can go to integrativelifestylemed.com and just take the quiz. On the front page, there's a little quiz on your own self-care in healthcare, and then it'll direct you to, you know, different options um, of, you know, finding classes and courses and, and that kind of thing. And for um, those of you who are listening. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ginger. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Shravya. Flight by Pelvidol is approved for pelvic floor strengthening and SUI only. All information provided on this podcast is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace medical advice. Always seek out a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have about a medical condition. And if you have a question about flight and its indications for use, please see our website at flighttherapy.com. And that's it. See you next time on the next episode of Pelvic Floor at its Core.